Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer this morning. So would you please pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for who you are. That since the creation of the world, since before this planet or uh, people, animals, anything ever existed, you were there. And you are a God who is kind. You are a God who is loving. And you showed that to us and you continue to show that to us. In love, you created this world. In love, you created us to share with you um, in your love and your mercy and in life. Father, we thank you that through you, uh, we can find meaning to this world. Remembering that you are in control, remembering that you created this world for a purpose to accomplish your will and that you have included us, uh, mankind, in that plan and in uh, looking after this world and looking after each other. But Father, too often we, we try to live our life according to some other rule. We live life without the meaning that you provide and try to find meaning and purpose in things that are not you and are not in the mission that you have given us. Our Lord, we try to find our worth, our value, our purpose in money, in getting more stuff, in work, in acclaim, in popularity, in success. When, Father, we need to find our purpose in you. And Father, for this rejection of you, for this rejection of your plan and good um, and the life that you have given us, uh, Lord, we are sorry. We are thankful for your Son that through his life, and even more so through his death, we could have forgiveness. That through his death and through his resurrection, we may have life and life to the full um, and forgiveness for our wrongdoing. And Father, we thank you for this and pray that as a church, this would be something that governs who we are, both corporately and individually, into people and a church that would honor you and would continue to make the name of Jesus great. Father, in particular, we do uh, pray for Jeff and Kelly tomorrow as they wed. We pray that in their marriage, that they would find um, yeah, your love to be the center of it, that they would honor your name and magnify your name through their marriage. And that as a church family, we will be able to encourage them and support them in it. Father, we pray now, um, as we hear your word read, that we will be thinking about what it would mean for us individually and for us as a church family, how it, uh, we need to honor your name. We pray you would prepare our minds for understanding your word. We pray you would prepare our hearts to make uh, our goals and our uh, desires your desires. We pray that you would ready our hands for service, service of you and service of each other. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things and for his glory. Amen. You turn your Bibles to uh, John's first letter, 1 John, chapter 1. If you have one of these blue church Bibles, it's on page 985, uh, and the words will also appear on the screen behind me. John chap uh, 1 John, chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have, we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thanks for that. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church this morning. It is good to uh, start off, well, it's not starting off a new term, but getting into a new term with a new series. This morning, we're getting into one. John, as Ben explained, we've got some workbooks for our growth group uh, if you're involved in growth group, or even if you're not involved in a growth group, uh, they're very good to just go through at home. I just want to run through a little bit with you, because this series, we're not just working through another book of the Bible, which is what we normally do, it's a good thing to do, but uh, we've, we've, just, we've worked through a bit of a need in uh, what we do at church, and just the way we explain who we are and what we do. Uh, so whether it's to newcomers or to people doing membership course, this is what we're about. And 1 John's just a nice, it's five chapters, just good enough to work through fairly quickly. So we can do it in three weeks just to see what is, what is God's plan for the church? What is God's plan for us? So we've put a bit of work into this book that we're not just using it just once here. In a sense, I will confess, we're going to run it through as a church but then inviting your feedback to say, hey, is this what we're on about as a church? How can we communicate this better to turn this into like a newcomer's course, uh, a life course, we're going to call it, just to help people realise uh, what we're about. So we, if you use these books, when you get it, it's a little bit different to normal books. We've got questions about church, basically. What, what is this church about? How do they do things? Yeah, that's a bit funny for us. We've been part of this church for years, uh, if that's your case. Uh, but they're just things to think about. Um, inside, there's your study from the passage, study about oh, just a few discussion things about what we do with our five M's and how that helps us with our mission to reach, uh, reach the lost. There's also um, th three readings a week. So during the three weeks um, that you can work through one, John, because we're not going to do every verse in the whole book um, just on Sundays. So there's some reading material there just to go through to actually get us in the routine of studying the Bible on our own during the week and when we get together. So 
There's a whole lot of things going on in that. So if you're in a growth group, make sure you grab one at the info desk. If you're not in a growth group and think, hey, I want to do a bit more reading and looking into this uh, for myself or with other people, um, there's heaps of these at the info desk. So make sure you grab one of those. But that's kind of where we're going for the next three weeks. What is 1 John going to teach us about church and God's plan for us as individuals as well? How about a pray and then we'll start. Dear Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to meet together as your church. We thank you that uh, it is such a privilege it is to be called your children and to come before you and that as you promise to meet with us, you're here with us, you reveal yourself to us through your word, through your spirit, but ultimately through Jesus himself. So Lord, I pray that as we come together, we won't take this opportunity for granted, but we will listen to you and we will want to uh, know how to follow you and be your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading recently about um, a bit in Isaiah, just uh, what struggles he was going through. And Isaiah came up with this prayer, a crying out to God, if you like, of uh, you know, what's on his heart. And he comes up and he says this plea to God. Uh, and I thought, it's in chapter 64, I thought, actually, this is a really cool prayer, not just for him, but for us as well, if you're feeling a bit like this. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down and make your name known to, the, to your enemies, and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down, and the mountains trembled before you. Now, for Isaiah, in his time, there's lots of turmoil going on around him. Uh, this Israel in the Old Testament is meant to be God's people. Uh, they've been overtaken by other nations. Their leaders, uh, their church, in a sense, the temple had become corrupt and destroyed and non-existent. Uh, so he was struggling to find God and to reveal God. God, where are you? Because things are looking like a mess. And it's just wish you'd come down and you could hear him sort of remembering what it was like when God did come down like in the time when uh, Pharaoh had control of God's people the Israelites uh, and God came down and led them through the Red Sea led them through the desert led them into the promised land God come down and was with them regularly and you could hear Isaiah if you could just do it again just come down and show the enemies that you really are the real God the living God and show me too now, I'm not sure about you, but often I feel a bit like that as well. You know, the church has taken a hammering in our society, not only because of some areas of the church has become corrupt as well and deserving of a bit of flack, but also, you know, our world around us just mocks God. You know, like he doesn't even exist, like he's not even real. It's like, God, just come down. Rend yourself from heaven. Come down from heaven. Just reveal yourself to us. Can you imagine what that would look like when somebody's mocking God, and it happens all the time, that God would just come down and reveal himself? It would be a turning point, wouldn't it? What would we do if we knew God was coming down? That we would want all the publicity. Like, look, world, look what's going on. We'd organise media. We'd organise a big, um, you know, not just auditorium, but Suncorp Stadium or some, somewhere massive where many people can come. Say, look, I told you so. This is where God really does exist. Just come down, God, and reveal yourself to them just to show our enemies that you are mighty, you, you are powerful, and the world will tremble before you. <clears throat> but not just that for our enemies, but 
for our own sake. It's like, wouldn't you love for God to appear? For our own affirmation that, that God does exist. We're not wasting our time. That God is here and he is loving, he is caring, he does care about me, that he would come down and reveal himself. God, would you come down? See, it's like this question that's gone throughout history. God, where are you? Would you reveal yourself? Would you come down? Show everybody, show the world that you, would, that you do exist. It's kind of like John, who wrote the letter, is a disciple of Jesus. He's putting down in writing, look, I know you've got these questions and I've got something to share with you, that God did come down. There is a point in history where God did come down and we're not going to let it pass, but we're going to record it, we're going to tell as many people as we can because it is significant. It's major. And this is what he goes on. He starts off by saying, that which was, sorry, that which was from the beginning, which what we've heard, which what we've seen with our eyes, we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Saying, yeah, God who was there at the beginning, says, I want to tell you about him. I want to tell you, because I've seen him, I've heard him, I looked at him, I saw all the miracles that he did, the feeding miracles, the, the uh, raising people from the dead. He said, we were there, we saw it. And this is my testimony. If you want to know about Jesus, you know, we can't actually see him physically here. But if you knew somebody who did see him, did talk to him, did know him, what would you ask him? Now, anything about Jesus. Here's John saying, look, I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. I touched him. I was there. And let me tell you about, this is the testimony that I'm sharing about you. I'm proclaiming concerning, and he uses this phrase, the word of life, to describe uh, Jesus. John's from a Greek background. We know it from the Gospel of John. They use some sort of philosophical terms rather than coming straight out with a name. But he calls Jesus the word of life. And he also goes on then to say, the life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. You know, you, you want God to come down. Well, God did come down. This Jesus, and now he's called him the word of life, uh, the life appeared, the eternal life, all describing Jesus, this life has come from Father God, from heaven, down onto this earth. It says, it did happen. This is a major point in history. That, that Jesus did appear to us. But then he goes on to explain the significance of it. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. He says what Jesus did when he came is bridge that God seems far away. It's like he's in another world. But when God came down to us through Jesus... He invites us into fellowship with him, to be at one with him. And he says, I'm writing this to you, to whoever reads this, so you can have fellowship as well. This being one with God, to know God. You can do it because he was here. This life, he says, and we, should, we need to know it. Now, it's incredible that God would come to us. And we need to realise the significance, not just us stamping our feet, I wish God would come. But he is like in a different world. 
And it is uh, significant that, that he does come like that. Because it is two worlds colliding in a lot of ways. Uh, something happened recently in the media, we might not have seen, it might have passed really quickly, but we can't let the significance pass. And that is the, the tension between North and South Korea and what's going on there. See, North and South Korea, their two leaders don't like each other. In fact, they've got guns pointing at each other, uh, whether it's missiles, whether it's um, you know, armies facing off at each other. They can see each other across the no-man's land at each other. This has been going on for some 70 years, a full generation of one nation fighting against another nation or disliking each other so much they won't even talk to each other. I realise that the pressure in Australia were pretty protected from that sort of thing. But I had a friend, uh, I've got a friend, uh, who grew up in South Korea when they finished high school. It's mandatory service in the army, so he had to go and serve in the army. And he was telling me his role for a period of some years was to fly a helicopter. I thought, okay, that's pretty cool, flying these Black Hawk helicopters. But he said, my job, I only had one job. In his unit, uh, they were camped near the border. Their job was, if any sign of war was to break out, him and his men, his men would jump in the helicopter, he would fly day or night, ready to go 24-7, uh, fly underneath the radar, so skimming the tops of the trees, he said. That's how you'd fly at night. You'd know how low you are because you'd feel the trees on you. They'd practice landing in uh, an army base of the North Koreans uh, that they had uh, somehow worked out a plan of this army base, uh, and what they'd done is rebuilt a mock army base in South Korea so they could practice. So it flies helicopter into this army base. The men would run out, know exactly where to go to kidnap the general, one of their high-ranking guys. They said, you know, if we have to go in there and you know, if things got messy and killed people, that's what's got to happen. But we want to capture him alive because that gives them leverage for negotiations, he says. So our goal was to capture the general, bring him back to South Korea to, to in a sense... Yeah, stop the fighting because we got one of your guys. That was his job. He says people died in training because sometimes the helicopters flying over the trees would catch on a tree, roll over, and everybody in the helicopter had died. That happened while he was there. But his job, it was that serious. 24-7, whether it's a drill or real, they, the alarm could go off, they've got to get to the base in the helicopter and be gone within minutes, kidnap the guy, pretend to in their training, pretend to kidnap the guy uh, and to come back. Everything's so on edge. We don't realise that in Australia, you know, the nearest countries, how many miles away. But for them, it's tense. These countries really don't get on. And it's been going on for a long time. The thought of these two countries coming together and making peace, it's kind of ridiculous been going on for so long, particularly when you look at the personalities. But then recently we get this photo, not just making peace, but the two leaders holding hands in peace talks. This is significant in world history, that these two countries that have hated each other, that have been on the brink of war with their nuclear weapons, been going for so long, that now they're talking, they're, their mates are talking about peace. It goes down in history as this could be a major, major turning point. Now, that's something we'd mark down as significant in our history. Even though our media might want to talk about royal weddings and how Harry's lost three kilos for the wedding and things like that. This is significant in world history, that this could happen. And this is what John's saying. 
It's significant in world history that God himself would come into the world, that he would bridge the gap. Not so much there's like two nations fighting and we really don't want to get on. It's not quite the same. In fact, John explains it a little bit more this way. He says, This is the message we have heard uh, from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He's using this light metaphor, darkness. But God is light. And he's talking about God's purity. That's sort of using the language of the Greeks of the day. His purity, whether it's uh, moral purity, but he's just and fair. And the Bible uses the word holy, that God is holy because he's so different from us. He's perfect in every way. He's in the light. As opposed to us, the world is in darkness. Everything that God is, we're not. We're corrupt. Justice seems to be, you know, depending on how, up to, up to the person, up to the interpreter, what justice really looks like. So for God, a holy God, to come into a dark world, a corrupt world, is significant. And it's not just a, a moment in time. This is what Isaiah was pleading for some 800 years before Jesus even came. It's what we're pleading for 2,000 years later. God, come to us. But John's saying, look, it's marked in the calendar. He did come to us. It is significant. Not just in a, for, the, for the story, but a significant history. So significant, we even date our calendar by it. You know, 2018 years ago, God came to this earth. This is uh, the significance of it. That, that God would come down to us. Now we can't get to God because darkness can't go to the light. You can't uh, go from something that's um, corrupt to something that's pure. Now in a sense, a lot of what John is talking about here is a bit concept, uses some uh, abstract words. If you're like me, pictures are always helpful. I, I put together a diagram, I hope it is helpful, it might be just even more confusing, really. Uh, but it is kind of like there is two worlds. There's on God's side is the light. That's where God is. There's life. John describes it. He talks about that side being truth. And truth, not just being honest, but the place of truth is like a place. It's, it's um, a state. It's, it's all truth. Uh, and fellowship. There's unity there between God and his disciples, God and us is on that side, this way in the light. Or there's darkness, and he goes on to use different words to explain that, but in darkness, that's where man is, that's where death is. That's when we're deceived, and we're separation from God. This is the world we live in. This is the world we're born into, this world of darkness. Thanks to Adam, uh, through Adam's sin, this unity between us and God has broken. We're separated, uh, and that's our world. And it's because of our sin, this is what sin is, this whole uh, rejection of God, this darkness, whether it's moral uh, behaviour or just a downright rejection of God. We don't like holiness. We don't like God ruling over us. We want to live life our own way. So that's called sin. We're in this state of sin, not the state of light. This is the problem. We can't get to God because God is so pure. The only way we can have help is if God comes to us. And this has been the frustration for humanity, right? Because we try and get to God, but, but not dealing with our sin, because this sin stopping us. Why would God accept us after we've rejected him, rejected his ways, we've rejected his rule? Why would he want unity with us? The sin stops it. 
So we try and bypass our sin. We don't want to address our sin because we still want to be, uh, live life the way we want. We still want to be rules of our own life. But we want God. We want unity with God. We want God to reveal himself. We want to know God. So we do things like, uh, like the top. We try and get to God. Often we, do it th- we try and do it through religion. Through our, you know, do this, do that, our traditions. You know, if I do all this stuff, surely that God wants, I'll get in favour with God and, and get to God. Or maybe through our morals, doing right or wrong. If I'm a good person, God will accept me. You know, if surely God won't reject me because I haven't done anything bad. So through our morals, surely we can get to God. But it's not addressing the sin problem, isn't it? We're trying to go around the sin problem. Our only hope is what John is saying, is if Jesus comes to us, that the light would come into the darkness. And that's a big call, that a holy God would come into a dark world. But he does it. He says he does it, but the diagram still shows a bit of a problem. He comes to us, but there's still this sin problem, isn't it? We can't have unity with God because of this sin, because of our attitude. We can't have fellowship with God. We can't walk in the light properly because we've got this sin problem. Just because Jesus comes into the world, what's he going to do about sin? This is where uh, John says, look, there's a, there's a few different situations we find ourselves in when we want to be in the light. We want to have fellowship with God. We want to be at one with him. And he goes on to explain uh, these number of different situations. He goes on to say, if we claim, there's a number of if we claim or uh, if we do these situations. So addressing our problem of sin, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So if we claim to be on God's side in the light, but going, I'm still happy with my old life. I'm still happy, you know, living my life my own way. I'm still happy rejecting God. I'll have him when I want him, but I still want to do things my own way. I like my sin. It gives me pleasure. It promises so much. It fulfills me. So I'm going to stay in my world of sin, my darkness. John says, you're kidding yourself. You can't call yourself a Christian, is what he's saying, and still live the old way. You can't be in the light and still live in darkness. If you claim it, you're kidding yourself. Uh, What about in verse 8 and verse 9? Sorry. From verse 8 and 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. uh, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This same test. We make all these claims, and it's all to do with a small view of sin. Either I haven't got sin, so I deserve to be on God's side, or, you know, I claim to be without. My good morals, my good religion is helping me overcome my sin. In fact, I'm not much of a sinner, really, so I really do deserve to be on God's side. He says, You're trying to get around the sin problem again. You can't do it, and you're kidding yourself. See, this situation of uh, this small view of sin, if you claim to have sin under control in your life, you're kidding yourself. Without Jesus, there's no way you can walk in the light. See, when I read this, I go, man, I wish I'd read this as a teenager because this is my story. So I grew up in church, barely missed a Sunday. From when I was growing up as a kid, I can't remember ever missing a Sunday going to church. Church was uh, painful, it was boring, it was uh, everything that you you don't want it to be as a kid. I grew up in that, but I thought God must be impressed with me because it's like 
Catholic's idea of doing penance. It's like, man, if I can sit through this, I get extra points with God. God must be so pleased with me. And I'd go to school during the week and I'd stand out from the kids because I was known as the religious kid. Might have been more reflection of my religious arrogance rather than my heart. But I, I stood up, yeah, I'm the churchgoer, I do things right. And kids knew me as the religious kid, uh, the kid that goes to church. And I think I was probably the only one in my whole year at high school that, uh, that said that. So that filled me with pride. And I thought, yeah, compared to those guys, my sin's under control. In fact, I'm not much of a sinner at all. So when the Bible talks about Jesus dying on the cross, of course he's talking about the real rebels, you know, the murderers, the adulterers, the you know, bad people. Not me. My sin was so small, I was just like, almost like I was born into the world of light. But was I wrong? Until I realised the Bible talks about Jesus dying on the cross for all people, including me. So I realised, my sin is not this small thing that I've dealt with, I'm managing. No, it's a real problem. It's a real problem, particularly if you're deceiving yourself. I want to live in the old world. I think I've got my sin under control. I don't need too much religion. I don't need that Jesus. But I am in the light. I am on God's, I'm a Christian, I wear a cross around my neck. You know, it's that sort of stuff. He says, you're, you're missing out. In fact, you're deceiving yourself and you're in death. But he says, in contrast, in these different scenarios, he says uh, in verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, if you've got Jesus involved in the process, in fact, what Jesus does is he does deal with our sin. He purifies us through his blood, which we'll see in just a minute what that means. But then he goes on in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, often I think if we, if we admit we're wrong, we've lost. We've got no credibility. But he's saying, no, admit you're wrong. Admit you're a sinner. Confess it with to Jesus. And as we confess it, we're handing it over to him and then he can deal with it. He can deal with it then. That's what makes it right. It's not the other way. It's, sometimes we think, like the diagrams, that the diagrams that I had up is um, prescriptive. <clears throat> that if I'm in the light, if I look like I'm in the light, yeah, if I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm pure, if I look like I'm... If I do all those things, I'll get on that side. I'll get on God's team. He says, that's not how it works. It's not prescriptive. This is what you need to do to be a Christian. It's descriptive. This is what a Christian looks like. But to get to that side, you need to deal with your sin. And to deal with your sin, you need Jesus. So that's what he's saying. Confess your sins. He deals with your sin. Now you're on the side of light. It's going to change your life. It's going to give you life. Eternal life. But we need Jesus to get there. We need Jesus. And he goes on to explain this, to make it really clear. A great gospel uh, summary in a couple of verses in chapter 2. The big solution of the cross. But John says, you know, it's, it's almost like this, this pastor talking to his congregation. My dear children, like this is what it boils down to. I write this to you so that you will not sin. And you go, hang on, I need to be perfect to be on that side. Yes, no, that's not what I mean. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also the sins of the world. See, we kid ourselves if we think we deserve being on that side. He says, in fact, I'm talking to you as a pastor, he says. I know we all sin. You know, I'm encouraging you not to sin. I want you to look like that you're living in the light. But it's a response to what Jesus has done. It doesn't get us there. But we need to deal with our sin by bringing it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. He will deal with it. See, John was there when Jesus uh, was arrested, when Jesus was charged, uh, when they, they called him, you know, you say you're the king of the Jews. Um, for that, you know, the Romans didn't want other kings, so we're going to crucify you. And in fact, he was king. But he didn't fight. He didn't fight for this kingdom here on earth. He says his kingdom was a greater kingdom. So for that, they killed him. They put him on a cross. The wrath of humanity was taken out on Jesus, on God. And for that, uh, Jesus took it. He died the death. John was there. You might remember the story when (coughs) Jesus was on the cross. He's nearly to his last breath. And he sees uh, his mother, uh, Jesus' mother and uh, some other women. And John was there. Jesus asked John to, to look after Mary, Jesus' mother. Uh, John was to be her son, in a sense, to look after her. So John was very close to Jesus, very close to his family. He knew if Jesus was a fake, but he saw Jesus die. When we see the story of, hear the stories of um, the tomb being empty, who was one of the first people there to see the empty tomb that Jesus had risen? It was John. John was there. To see Jesus uh, risen from the dead, to come and speak and teach, John was there. To know for sure that Jesus had died for his sins, died for the sins of the whole world, that he's dealt with the problem of sin. He's inviting us into the kingdom of light, into fellowship with God, to fellowship with one another. We can be one of his children, there's another word he's going to use later on, that we're in his family because Jesus has dealt with our sin. Because we're in his family, he's saying, don't live in darkness anymore. You're a child of the light. Live in the light. Live like it. You can't live both worlds. You're kidding yourself. In fact, that's what the world wants to tell us we can do. You can be a Christian. You can have your own beliefs, but don't be too radical. In fact, we'll use that word. Are you a radical Christian? But John's saying, no, it is actually very different to live in the world we live in, in darkness, to be living in the light. It's very different in a relationship with him. See, this makes a huge difference. If you're like me and you have a good day and you go, okay, I've uh, read my Bible, I've spent some time in prayer and I've uh, lovingly you know, dealt with relationships around me, um, I've even done some serving things to show that I love the people around me, I think God must be pleased with me. How would you rate, if you've had a good day with God, how would you rate your relationship with God? How would you relate, uh, how, how would you rate <clears throat> how close you are to God, how much he loves you or blesses you or how much you've drawn near to him. When you have a good day, like God must be pleased with me. I'd rate that a 10 out of 10 day, that God is near me because I've done, I'm on my best behaviour, so I'm good. 
But then the next day comes around. You haven't read your Bible, you haven't prayed, you haven't uh, dealt with relationships very well, you've gone into arguments, you've done the wrong thing, you've tried to cover it up and hide it, and just by lying, you've, you've fractured trust. You've made a mess of the next day. <clears throat> and you go, I just really stuffed this whole Christian thing up. On that day, how would you rate that day in your relationship with God? How would you rate your relationship in you know, this fellowship, this intimacy with God? How much does God love you on that day? Do you believe what John's saying through the cross is 10 out of 10? God still loves you 10 out of 10. Not because what you've done, in fact, that's pretty ordinary, because we all blow it all the time. But it doesn't matter what I've done, it's because I'm trusting in Jesus when God looks at me, he's looking through what his son Jesus did on the cross. He's wiped my sin. He's wiped my record of sin. So from now on, God sees me as long as I uh, trust in Jesus and I'm trying to walk in the light, God sees me as 10 out of 10. That's what he does. We often beat ourselves up because I'm not a good Christian. But what John's saying, if you realise the weight of the cross, you're actually held in such high regard by God because of what Jesus has done. That's why we need to cling to Jesus, confess our sin to Jesus, let Jesus deal with our sins, and then uh, he, he brings us into this kingdom of light. We do that. Don't also get confused about saying, I need to look like a Christian to be in the kingdom of light. I need to be at church every Sunday. I need to be this on my best behaviour because that's what everybody sees. I need to do this much to reach God, to please God and be there. It doesn't get you there. John's saying, live like you're in the light, but Jesus gets you there. A helpful story uh, for me is the story of Douglas MacArthur, General Douglas MacArthur. I've said, shared this story before uh, a while back, but I think it's really helpful in understanding this process. Douglas MacArthur was a general in World War II, uh, but he also served in World War I as a high-ranking officer. In World War I, there's a story of him after he'd uh, proven himself <clears throat> and after he'd won a, a number of different medals. He was in charge of a large group of men and he was uh, to overtake a hill that the Germans had held in World War I. Uh, and to win this hill was to basically win victory over this whole area. But the Germans had held on to this for such a long time. After numerous attacks, uh, the Americans couldn't take this hill. Anyway, General MacArthur, I don't think he was a general at that stage, but he was a leader, said to his right-hand man, he says, look, I want you to hit up, take your men up the left-hand side. I'm going to head up the right-hand side and I'll meet you at the top. He says, don't get me wrong, this is not an easy fight. This is a big victory. If we can pull it up, probably lose many men in this battle, but it's an important victory that he do that. So he says, I'm going to make sure when this battle is over, you get one of these. And he pointed to a medal of courage that he already had. He says, when, uh, after this war, if you can pull this off, I'm going to make sure you get this medal of courage. He says, officer, yes, sir, went to do it. And General MacArthur went to walk away. In, he turned around and he come back to him. He says, I'm so confident that you're going to make it to the top of that hill. Here, have my medal of courage. You get it now because I know you're going to do it. I know you're going to do a good job and I know you're, you're going to give you, you everything. And you kind of go, he's given him his medal and he hasn't even done anything. But yet, yet the, the young soldier had this medal of courage. He'd already got it. It's what Jesus does for us. He says, look, I know we're going to stuff up. I know we're going to do the wrong thing. But you know what? I'm going to give you 
this badge of honour in a sense that shows you're a Christian, you walk in the light and you're a child of God and I'm going to give it to you now. I know you're going to sin tomorrow. I know you're going to stuff up. But because Jesus has dealt with our sin, we're put in this privileged position that, that if I trust in Jesus, we have this great honour of being in fellowship with him, being in relationship, being at one with him. And we have that now. So why would we still live in the darkness, John is saying? Live in the light. You've got, you've got the identity, you've got the character, you've, you've been given it all to live in the light. So live in the light. We're going to hear more about what that looks like over the next three weeks of what it does. But right from chapter one, he's saying, have you got, even talking to uh, a so-called Christian audience, are you kidding yourself? Are you playing both worlds, darkness and light? Or are you taking living in the light seriously? Taking Jesus seriously? Because it will give you life, life eternal and true life. I want to pray now that each of us will just realise the weight of sin and the joy it is that Jesus has taken away. Let's pray. Dear Father, I do thank you for this awesome message that even when we cry out to you, even when we feel like you're far away, that you did come down to humanity, that the light would come into the darkness, into our messy world. But you didn't turn us away saying we're not good enough, but you dealt with our sin on the cross. Lord, we praise you for that because you didn't have to do it. We didn't deserve it. But Lord, you accept us and make us your children. So Lord, we just want to worship you. We want to praise you. We want to live for you. And we want to trust in you. Lord, help us to see the areas in our lives where we still dabble in the darkness. We don't want to let go of our sin. Lord, let us, help us to let that go, to die to that and start living for you. And we pray it in your power, in Jesus' name. Amen.